0: Hello, vampires and slayers. This is Mistress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which, to which the answer to that question is Season 3, Episode 2, entitled Dead Man's Party. Now, you just heard a clip from Oingo Boingo's um, track called Dead Man's Party, which is probably what this episode is named after. However, you do not get to hear the song in the episode. But... I just, um, I have to sing that song every time I watch this episode, so now you got to hear it. At least you didn't have to hear me sing it, right? Okay. So, let's get into it. Really excited to be talking about Buffy again with you guys. Um, I wanted to make, let's, before we get started, I want to make a little bit of an announcement. The podcast is It's going to change a tiny, tiny bit. It's really not going to be super different, but when I first started this podcast, for those of you that have been around since the very beginning, What's This Bitch Talking About started out as a podcast to sort of go hand in hand with my radio show. And basically what I did in the beginning, it was very weird and disjointed. So if you heard those first episodes, but you've never listened to my radio show, you probably did not understand what the fuck was going on. And, um, that's perfectly understandable because what I was doing in the beginning, I've had a radio show called Mixtress Radio for the last five years. And in the beginning of this podcast, I was taking the um, voice intros that I did for the songs on my radio show and just smushing them all together into one sound file. Um, because I, I couldn't actually, you can play like copyright stuff is confusing to me, like fair use. I knew that I could play less than 30 seconds of a, I'm pretty sure I can play less than 30 seconds of a song and it's still fair use if I'm talking about it. Um, in a cultural relevance kind of way but I was scared to try to do that so I would only play my voice intros and then I would have provide a link in the description notes to the playlist of the songs that I played on the episodes so if you really wanted to listen to it like it was a radio show which I'm sure no one did this you would have to um, have the playlist up be listening to the podcast and then switch over to the playlist every time I was mentioning songs and then come back at the right time. It was clunky and stupid, but it was a way for me to get a podcast started. So I'm glad that I did it. And if the radio show had not existed, this podcast would never exist. And I've had the idea to watch every episode of Buffy 20 years after its original air date for about three years before... I could actually start doing it. I I remember having the idea one day and just being like, yes, I need to do that. Um, and at the time I don't know if I knew that I was going to be a podcast. I thought maybe I would just put it on my blog or whatever. But, um, anyway, all of this is to lead up to, um, What a long, strange trip it's been to get to this point of the podcast where I have a clear view of what the fuck I'm doing now, and I'm so happy about that, but I didn't want to change the name of the podcast because I think what's this bitch talking about is just hilarious. Um, I've told the story, the origin story of the name of this podcast before, but um, I will tell it again now, just in case you hadn't heard that. If you came to this podcast more at the beginning of when it became a Buffy podcast, So what happened was when I first started my radio show, I had um, my, my Michael, my life partner, he used to, I think he still does like play it back in the kitchen. He works at a restaurant and um, he would play it in the kitchen as he's closing because um, and (laughs) one of his coworkers one day. Um, just, I don't think he knew that it was me or whatever. And he just like looked at Michael and he said, what's this bitch talking about? (laughs) Because I tend to babble about a lot of like personal weird shit. And I can completely understand if somebody doesn't understand what the fuck I'm talking about. And I just thought that was hilarious, so I started naming the segments of my radio show in which I'm kind of, like, ranting and babbling about weird shit. I would just call it the What's This Bitch Talking About segment on my radio show, and then I decided that was the perfect name for a podcast. If I was going to have a podcast, it needs to be called What's This Bitch Talking About? So, um, that's the origin. Some random coworker of my Michaels. I don't even think he works with this person anymore. I don't even know who this person is. But, uh, thank you for naming my podcast. <laughs> anyway, um, so what is gonna happen is my radio show, I've been doing it, For five years, and I've really loved it. It's taught me a lot about how to verbalize things. I, you know, it may sound like I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about most of the time, and the way that I word things is still very strange, but after five years of having a weekly radio show, I have gotten so much better at being able to communicate my thoughts verbally. Um, I'm autistic, and that's always been a thing that's been hard for me. Like, especially in person, I don't say much. Um, But there have been things in my life that have really taught me how to verbalize. Um, I've been in customer service for um, 13 years now. And I had that radio show for five years, and I've been doing this podcast for... I think two years so um, all of that has really taught me how to use words more effectively and it's been an awesome journey but I have decided that um, the radio show has been weekly ever since I started it but I am going to scale it back to monthly as of November And, um, because of that, I will not have the, the radio show has always been, if you've never listened to it, it's always been extremely personal. Like I babble about stuff that's going on with my life and I, I just really dig deep. It's kind of like therapy to me. And this podcast was sort of like that in the beginning, but I felt uncomfortable with that after a while because this podcast, um, reaches a lot more people, than the radio show ever has. The radio show, like, I will have, like, five listeners a night if I'm lucky. Um, so I was able to get very personal because it was something that you had to tune into at a certain time, and, um, I knew that there wasn't going to be a lot of people that would hear it. Um, so it felt like I shouldn't be as personal on the podcast, and I still think that. I still want this podcast to 90% be about Buffy or about other pop culture. But I probably am going to add what I call in the radio show, the what's up with mixtress segment. So I probably will babble about what's going on with my life and shit like that in like the first five to 10 minutes of the podcast episodes. So, um, obviously something that you can skip over if you don't care about, but, um, I guess I just wanted to let you guys know that that would be a change coming up, um, at least starting in November if, you know, because I know that I will need that outlet of, since the radio show has kind of been therapy for me for the last five years, I know it's going to be really hard for me not to have a weekly radio show anymore. And yeah, I guess this is a good time. I'm also, I haven't worked out the details of how this transition is going to work in my life because I've had a weekly radio show for five years, like I said. So I'm used to working on a radio show every single week and I spend a good three to five hours working on it. So that chunk of time in my life is suddenly going to be free at least three out of four weeks of the, of the month. So I am sort of thinking about the radio show. Maybe it could become playlists on YouTube. Um, maybe it could become special patron-only episodes on my Patreon page. Like I, I think the radio show is still going to exist. It might just change formats, and it. Will be probably monthly instead of weekly, but anyway, whatever you guys don't care because you're not even listening to the radio show right now. But um, you may not even have known that I had one. But um, if you feel like tuning in for the last two weeks of the radio show, there will be an episode um, Friday the 12th and Friday the 19th, and they will air 7 to 10 Central Standard Time. And you can find that. Um, Just go to my blog. There's a little player on the right and my blog is MixtressRay.com. Also, if you would like to, I don't have special patron-only episodes of this podcast up yet for my Patreon page, but they will be showing up shortly. I'm going to be doing movie reviews and other stuff so if you would like to receive those you can get those at any donation level so the way that you can become a patron is patreon.com slash mixtress ray and that's patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n and mixtress ray is m-i-x-t-r-e-s-s-r-a-e um, I also, if you want to give me a one-time donation on PayPal, you can do that as well. And I offer, um, tarot card readings, um, that are also like mixed with song readings. So I do like a song shuffle and I also pick three cards. So, um, if you would like that service, you can send me $3 to paypal.me slash Okay, so now that I've got that promotional shit out the way, let's talk about Dead Man's Party. Um, I was very surprised, delightfully, delightfully surprised at how much I enjoyed this episode. Um, In the past, I've always thought of it as, you know, because the first three episodes, if you don't know, this is not a spoiler-free podcast, okay? There's a warning. The first three episodes of Buffy, I've always, of the third episode, third season of Buffy, I've always thought of as, okay, so there's Anne where she's, you know, in LA. And then, and then there's um, the third episode when we finally get introduced to Faith, the other Slayer. But, you know, Dead Man's Party is in between those two episodes. So I've always thought of it as kind of a fluff episode, but it's not. This is actually a very significant episode and um, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I, than I remember enjoying it. As I've said many times before, and will say many times again, watching Buffy in this way of, you know, watching it in real time of when it actually came out originally is really leads to appreciating these episodes a lot more because, you know, normally in a rewatch of Buffy, you know, you're just mainlining, like, three episodes at a time or whatever you're just binging and this one might get forgotten but it really is something that you sort of need to steep in because this episode is all about is all about holding back emotions and you know being awkward and like there's several moments where like you want everybody to hug but they don't um But anyway, let's just get into it. Start with my notes. I have like six pages of notes for this episode. So at the end of the last episode, previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Buffy has just gotten home after being gone for... We assume four months. Because they usually treat the returns from the summer as being literal, like, this is, you know, something happened during the summer and we didn't get to see it happen. So it's always... The show has always been treated in real time like that so we have to assume that the four months that we had to be without Buffy Sunnydale had to be without Buffy so she has just gotten home you see her sort of unpacking it's nighttime well I guess it was day when she showed up on the doorstep I guess it was kind of like right before sunset or some shit And at this point, you see her, the the episode opens with her unpacking her bags in her bedroom. And it's a really great shot. I think you get to see a lot of really great shots of the Summer's house in this episode. And I think it's possible they had a whole new set. Because I know at some point, um, like the Summer's household is based on a real house and they have shot both all exterior shots of the summer's house is this particular house that exists in real life and some of the interior shots have been done in that house but also some of them have been done on a set and this might be the first time that we're seeing the set because spoiler alert this season is going to include a lot of destruction of Buffy's house which starts with this episode so they had to build a set so that they could destroy the house (laughs) over and over and over again for the next five seasons I'm not bitter I really hate watching the Summer's house get destroyed so that's like one of the only reasons to super dislike this episode (laughs) Um, but anyway so you get to see a really great shot of Buffy standing in her bedroom and just you get to, for the first time I think, you get to really see And probably because it's a set now, so they can actually get far enough away to see the whole room, which of course they based the whole house on this actual house that exists. But, um, you get to see Buffy's room like the full scope of it in a way that you've never seen before. And um, it really highlights how isolated she feels and how disoriented she feels because this is her first time coming back to her childhood bedroom or not her childhood bedroom. I guess she's only lived in this house for as long as we've known her. So, but you see her, you know, returning to her teenager bedroom after living on her own in downtown LA for four months And she just, she feels weird and you can tell that she feels weird and she's just unpacked and she's like, oh God, what do I do with myself now? I'm home, I guess. But what does that mean? Um, So this is a very emotionally dense episode and I think that the emotions are dealt with very well. And part of that reason is, man, I'm good at segues. No, (laughs) Um, part of that reason is this episode is written by Marty Noxon yay for Marty Noxon. She is amazing. And I looked up some facts about her. So this episode written by Marty Noxon, the beginning of season three, she joined the cast at the very beginning of season two. Um, this season, season three, she is now a co-producer. So her and Joss are the main people behind the whole show. Um, as of season four, she was the showrunner, um, cause Joss sort of abandoned the show to like go talk about Angel or whatever. He was still heavily involved, but, um, the actual showrunner for season four was Marty Noxon. Season five, she was co-producer again with, was it David Fury or Greenwalt? Hold on. Let me look it up. David Fury so she was co-producer season five but season six and seven she was um showrunner again so if you think about it okay let's just talk this out Joss was showrunner seasons one and two um then Marty was co-runner season three with Joss then she was showrunner four six and seven and co-runner on five but Joss wasn't of any of those so if you really think about it even though Joss Whedon Whedon (laughs) wrote the show conceptualized the show and had a heavy hand in it the whole time Marty Knoxon was actually she was there much more and she probably had and she was co-runner or show runner more seasons than he was. So let's just start giving her all the credit for everything. How about that? She is really awesome. She also um, has done a lot of other really cool things. She is the show creator of Unreal, of... Um, other stuff as well I'm not gonna like tell even though I have Marty Knox's Wikipedia page right in front of me I'm not gonna read the whole thing to you right now because we have a lot to talk about tonight but let's just say that from now on because I'm pissed at Joss Whedon for being an asshole as we talked about last week I'm just going to credit Marty with everything good about this show from now on because I can do what I want (laughs) because I'm a fan Speaking of fans, ooh, segue again. Um, I listened to, as part of my research for the episodes, I always listen to Buffering the Vampire Slayer, which is another Buffy podcast. So I listened to their episode on Dead Man's Party this week, of course. And they um, they had a guest that mentioned that there is a bunch of fan fiction about Pat and Joyce so Pat is a character that we're gonna meet in this episode and uh, spoiler alert she's gonna die and we'll never ever ever see her again but apparently and I never thought about this before but apparently like you know a lot of people in the LGBTQIA community that like Buffy really respond to Joyce's relationship with Pat in this episode because they're very affectionate um And apparently there's more, and fan fiction is usually, if you don't know, most of the time, a very large chunk of fan fiction is, you know, just sex stuff with certain people. Like if you're looking for Giles slash Joyce fan fiction, you will find a lot. But apparently, according to this guest that was on Buffering the Vampire Slayer, there's a ton more of Joyce slash Pat fan fiction so that's just an interesting fact that I thought I had to bring to your attention if you don't listen to buffering okay we still haven't even gotten past my first two sentences of notes okay we gotta get going this this podcast is going to become like an hour and a half every episode so I'm sorry about that you guys Unless you're okay with it. I don't know. Let me know. Mixers radio at Gmail is how you can let me know your thoughts, your criticisms, critiques. Uh, if you'd like to be on a show, let me know. Um, if you have one that you really, really love that you'd like to talk about, we can figure that shit out. I know that people do that via Skype. I've never done it, but we could figure it out. Anyway, so Buffy goes to, after standing around awkwardly and unpacking her room, she goes to talk to Joyce. And, um, she has her cardigan get in her hand. So Joyce is like, and she's hanging this really gross mask on the wall. That's super ugly. And, um, she's like, yeah, I just, you know, I took some stuff home from the gallery. It's, it's Nigerian. I thought it would cheer up the room. And I don't know if this is the first time we see Joyce's room, but we get to see Joyce's room at least if we've if we have seen it before, we get to see it in a way we've never seen it before. Um, as is most of the, most of Buffy's house we get to see in a way we never get to see, got to see before now, since they obviously just built a whole new set, like I said. But, um, Joyce's room is one of my favorite, it's pretty much my top mom rooms of any pop culture ever. So if you've never noticed, she has this taupe, flowery wallpaper. She has super obnoxiously flowery, um, like bedspread and curtains and it's just all perfect 90s mom decor. It looks exactly like you want your mom's bedroom to look, you know, like my mom's bedroom doesn't have the same aesthetic, but it has that Joyce's bedroom evokes that mom feeling of feeling like you could just like hide in there hide in the coziness and the comfort of your mom even if she wasn't there I mean it's like it's almost like you can smell Joyce's mom perfume when you see her overly flowery taupe bedroom it just is so perfectly Joyce and in the same way that my mom's bedroom is so perfectly my mom Um, it's just, it's a comforting presence, this room, and you get to see it a lot in this episode because Joyce is hanging this mask on the wall and she's describing how she took it home from the gallery, which I would like to at this point point out a great point that Nikki Stafford, or is it Strafford, Stafford, points out in her episode guide to Buffy the book called Bite Me what kind of gallery allows its employees to remove ancient artifacts to decorate their home (laughs) which i think joyce runs the gallery so i think she took it upon herself to take a nigerian ancient artifact home to hang up in her bedroom but i think it's still really questionable why would someone do that if it's an ancient artifact it should be displayed in a museum if it's in your fucking bedroom joyce you and buffy are the only people that are ever gonna fucking see it Anyway, so she's hanging this ugly mask on the wall. She says that she thinks it cheers up the room. And this is where we get the quote of the episode, which is when Buffy says, it's angry at the room, mom. It wants the room to suffer. (laughs) She just says, you have no appreciation for ancient art or something. Um, But anyway, so Buffy's asking her mom if she can go out, which is interesting because you know she's making the choice to ask to go out. She just lived on her own for four fucking months. She doesn't need to ask her mom if she could go out, you know, but she is doing her mom the courtesy of that. Like, you know, I just got back. I am letting you know that I am going to accept your authority as my mother, even though I can obviously take care of myself and we both know that. So I think that's kind of an important moment. Um, she tells her it's okay because she wants to go out and find Willow and Xander because, you know, she's, reunited with her mom, but she needs to go reunite with everybody else. So um Joyce asks, will you be slaying? Buffy says, only if they give me lip. So Joyce is still, you know, like she's had some time to simmer in the information that Buffy is a slayer, but she's still trying to wrap her head around it, which is understandable. So Buffy goes out and she is walking down an alley and she like sees Xander I think she knows it's Xander she sees Xander and um or maybe she doesn't know it's him because he's got his collar popped up and like all you see is dark hair and a collar like it's like as if he's cool or something like he obviously thinks he's cool and he like whips around real quick with a stake in his hand because he thinks because she's kind of snuck up on him and she very easily grabs the stake out of his hand and points it back at him. It's just in one very simple movement. She overpowers him. So that's that's a nice moment. Um and that's her reuniting with she sees Xander first, and she's they just sort of have a moment where they're looking at each other, and you can tell that Xander is about to hug her and they're about to have you know a nice reconciliation moment but they get interrupted by Cordelia talking on the walkie-talkie because um I guess Xander, Cordelia, Oz, and Willow are all out hunting together when she reunites with them in this alleyway and then a vampire shows up So, um, everybody sort of has to deal with the fact that Buffy is there at the same time that they're fighting a vampire and they're doing a good job. You know, they're all in there. Cordelia's fighting, Willow's fighting, Oz is fighting. They're all doing their part and they're fighting together and Buffy sort of pushes them all out of the way in order to to take care of the vampire. And there's this great shot of all four of, um, Willow, Cordelia, Xander, and Oz all four of them have been like pushed to the ground and they're sort of out of breath and you can tell that there's like this little bit of like i wrote blue ballsy emotion from all of them like they were ready to kill that vampire but buffy just swooped in and took care of it and they didn't get the release of fighting the vampire plus they're dealing with you know dealing with the fact that buffy's right there standing in front of them and they look sort of angry that she's there but I think it's just because, you know, she doesn't recognize yet that they have gotten really good at fighting vampires since she left, abandoned them for four months. Um, so anyway, let's get back to my notes. Cause I keep babbling about things and not looking at my notes. Hug us interrupt us. I wrote because you know, that moment that Xander and Buffy almost hugged. They've got walkie talkies. Um, <laughs> Xander's nickname on the walkie-talkies at least from Cordelia I'm sure no one else called him this but it's Nighthawk I mean we have to acknowledge that (laughs) um Willow and Cordelia both in leather jackets I wrote um also Cordelia looks really good in this episode she's wearing a lot of earth tones she's growing out her bangs Um, she just looks great. She looks really great in Earth Tone. She's wearing like a leather jacket and like army green pants. And it's very subdued for Cordelia, but she just looks so good. Like she, she wins for style, you know. Okay. Let's just go ahead and skip ahead to the MVP of the episode because I feel like talking about it right now. So let's just do it. I'm giving it to Joyce. But I think it needs to be a tie, so I'm gonna I'm gonna change that right now. I'm giving it to Joyce and Cordy because in this episode, what, very thanklessly, Cordelia, in every moment, in every fighting situation in this episode, she is fighting, thanklessly, valiantly, and she's very smart. She uses things around her as weapons. She I mean, I'll talk about it later, but there's a moment where everybody runs up the stairs to get away from the zombies. Just as Oz is getting grabbed in the doorway at the Summer's house, and everybody abandons him, including Buffy, including Xander, including Oz's girlfriend, Willow. (laughs) They all run up the stairs, and Cordelia's the only one that stays behind and, like, helps him get get detached from the zombie like that's a moment where it's like why and she never they never acknowledge this that she's the one that the one that's supposed to be the most selfish and stupid of the whole scoobies is actually very resourceful she was the only one that noticed that oz needed help buffy didn't even fucking notice That was a weird moment of, like, fight choreography. I'm sure none of that was intentional. But, like, I noticed that Cordelia was on top of shit. Cordelia's on top of shit this entire episode. So that's why she gets to share the MVP with Joyce. And I'm giving it to Joyce as well. Because she really, like, she gets on to Buffy a few times. But not in that super harsh way that Joyce usually does. I think she's definitely learned a really big parenting lesson since you know, Buffy came out to her or was outed in front of her (laughs) Um, since that and the whole summer of them being apart she has really stepped it up and she fights zombies in this episode there's a scene I'll talk, talk about this again but there's a scene at the very end of the episode where Joyce is beating a zombie with a bat while Xander and Willow are hiding on the other side of her bed behind the bed so they're hiding while Joyce is beating the zombie with the bat like all by herself she's just doing that she doesn't have any experience in the field like the rest of them do she's not used to this whole concept of supernatural beings and her daughter being the slayer she's still getting used to that plus she was drunk so she was drunk, she's not used to this shit, she's not trained in combat, she she knows nothing about this shit, but she was the one that was standing up to the zombies while Xander and Willow hid behind the bed. So, um, and also the emotional conversations that her and Buffy have throughout the episode, um they're, they're pretty good. I mean, there's a point where she says, look, you made some bad just decisions, Buffy. You might have to deal with the consequences, but she says it in a way that's not super harsh, not super emotionally charged. She's just, she's learning to be a better parent and we're seeing that. I think this is a turning point for Joyce because up until now, we've really seen Joyce as being, of an asshole like I had never really noticed until this watching of Buffy that Joyce is kind of an asshole to Buffy a lot of the time but I think now that she's finally been let in on the the big chunk of information that she didn't know about her daughter the fact that she's a slayer I think that from now on we're gonna get the Joyce that we know and love we're gonna get the good Joyce also just needs to be pointed out while we're talking about Joyce she looks fucking good in this episode. Her hair is right. Her clothes are very mom. They're nice and flowing. She just looks good. She's got her Joyce lipstick, which is like this beautiful dark red lipstick. It's like, it's like a reddish brown, which is my favorite, my favorite color of lipstick really. And Joyce rocks it. And she just, so I'm kind of excited because At this point, I think the show had enough money to... Because Joyce lives, like, overseas or something. Christine Sutherland, who plays Joyce. So we didn't get her very much at all up until this point. And I know she's still not going to be, like, in every episode or anything. But I think at this point, she's going to be seen less like an absentee mother. Because I think we actually get to have her on set a little bit more often from now on. I'm just so excited. This is my favorite season of Buffy good time to take a moment. And, um, I mean, it'll be interesting to watching Buffy in this context. I may have a different favorite season, but as of right now, season three has always been my favorite. Um, what do you guys, what's your favorite season? I'd love to hear from you on your opinions. Um, favorite season of Buffy. Let me know. Least favorite season. I'd love to know that too. Um, yeah. So I'm just really excited because, you know, we're getting, we're getting Oz a lot more. We're getting Joyce a lot more in this season. We're going to get a, uh, a lot more Cordelia. Um, spoiler alert, Angel's coming back. I think at the end of the next episode, I'm not going to look ahead. So it may not be until the fourth episode, but it's either the third or the fourth at the very end, he falls out of the sky naked. <laughs> So we're about to get Angel back. So it's just a very great season and I'm super excited to get into it. Okay, still in my first fucking page of notes. Let's see what else we got here. Oh, um, after they all fight the vampire, they go to see Giles. So we get to see, not only do we get to see Joyce's bedroom in this episode, we get to see Buffy's bedroom in this episode, but we get to see Giles's house, which is the best, the best. I love his house. It's like a like a Spanish revival type situation. There's archways everywhere. There's Spanish tile on the stairs. He's got like a little outdoor garden terrace situation right outside his front door. Um, he's got a fireplace with Spanish tiles around it. I love his house so much. And it's this green color that's just this perfect, like, of It's the exact color that Giles should have his place. Whoever did the set design on Buffy, seriously, props. Props to the props department. Props to the set design team. They fucking know what they're doing. They get the personalities of the characters so well. I mean, we're going to see this time and time again once we finally get introduced to Tara, which, side note, I just found out today, Marty Noxon is the person that hired Amber Benson to play Tara which of course she doesn't show up till season four. Oh my God. That's only a year away, you guys. We're only a year from Tara. Oh my God. I'm excited. Anyway, anyway, she's the one that is responsible for hiring Amber Benson as Tara, which is one of the greatest characters of Buffy ever. So Marty is my queen from now on. It's Marty. It's all Marty. Anyway. Okay. Uh, okay so they go to Giles's house oh and this is where we get just kind of the best moments Giles is sort of the MVP of the episode as well because as soon as like everybody else is super weird around Buffy and they're not sure like are they happy she's back like there's just a lot of unsaid shit because she hasn't I mean it's important to remember at this point she has not told anyone I mean, they all know that she had to kill Angel. They all know that she was expelled from school. They all know that her mom, you know, had a moment where she was thinking about kicking Buffy out of the house, but she didn't really mean it. They all know all of that shit, but they don't know that when Buffy killed Angel, he had his soul, which that's going to be revealed in the next, I don't know, two or three episodes. We're finally going to get that in a few more episodes, that reveal. She hasn't told them that. Um, at this point, I think Willow thinks the spell just didn't work, um, or it didn't work in time or something. Um, but and it didn't work in time because the portal was already opened, but it worked long enough for Buffy to realize, and no one knows that she hasn't told them that. So that's a big elephant in the room. Like, when are they going to find out what really happened. Why won't she just fucking tell them? But this is a pattern with Buffy that we've seen before and we will see again. It's a very consistent character pattern for, and, and for any hero, it makes sense to me that, you know, something super tragic happens to Buffy. She has to respond to it by going away and dealing with it on her own. And she even says that later in the episode. I might as well just skip ahead in my notes since I'm just all over the place anyway. Let's see. When they're in the big fight at the party, right before all the zombies show up. where she say it? Um, they're all like, did you tell anybody what you were going through before you left? Xander's asking something like that. And Buffy says, no one could have done anything. I just had to deal with this on my own. And that's, you know, we're dealing with a lot of episode, a lot of emotions in this episode of, you know, like everybody feels very abandoned by Buffy and they're blaming her and they're being really harsh, which I can understand. A lot of resentments are going to build up after four months of the leader of your group not being there. Someone that really needs to be there. I mean, she abandoned them, not only, like, emotionally as her friends. This is something they don't really bring up, but I think it's important to note that she also is the fucking Slayer, and she works on the Hellmouth, and she abandoned her post. Like, I mean, Giles, or Xander does say that at some point. You abandoned your post, but... I mean, she was actually putting her friends and family in danger by leaving, but she's a 17 year old girl and she's dealing with some pretty big emotions right now. So I think it totally tracks that she had to go away for a while. I think that completely makes sense. Also something that's never really pointed out, you know, they really are a lot better at fighting the forces of evil when she comes back. They've been doing it without her for four months and they've gotten a rhythm and that is shown in this episode you know whenever they all have to fight the zombies at the house they all work together and she trusts them to help her more than she ever has before and they all do their part and you know that whole situation it was almost like you didn't really feel like any of them were ever in danger because they were all so capable and that's really cool to see Um, And I don't think they would have stepped up in quite that way if they didn't have to be without their slayer for four months. So her leaving through, you know, obviously not her intention at all. She was just thinking about herself, but through her leaving, they all became better fighters of evil. So it was kind of a good thing for them. Okay, I gotta get myself organized here. I'm still on fucking page one. Okay. So they get to Giles' house and this whole scene of Giles' reaction to her being home is just so perfect. Anthony Stewart Head is one of the top five actors on this show, for sure. He is so good. He can communicate so much with just his face, you know, like he doesn't say much at all. He literally, the only thing he says when he answers the door is, Welcome home, Buffy. He just immediately, he's not, he's the only one of them that's not going to give her any shit. He completely understands everything that she's going through, even though he doesn't know that Angel got a soul back before he was killed. He immediately forgives her. He doesn't give her any shit. He's the one that points out when they're all, they're all sitting on the couch and Giles has made them tea, which is so cute he brings tea and cookies into the room and they all grab the cookies immediately and none of them touch the tea (laughs) which is kind of sad i would drink tea with giles i wouldn't snub his tea um but they're ungrateful but anyway as he's going into the kitchen he has this moment and it made me cry seriously He has this moment. Again, no words. He walks into the kitchen and you just see him alone in the kitchen. You hear everybody kind of talking in the background because they're in the living room. And he's, you know, setting up his cute, fancy little tea tray with the cookies and the tea. And he just has this moment where he's just like, you see how fucking relieved and happy he is. And he just can barely contain all of his emotions and you just see it all play out on his face and it's so good okay okay he has to share the mvp with joyce and cordelia okay it's just three people this episode it's cordelia it's joyce and it's giles because they all are fucking amazing in this episode even though joyce is the reason for the the whole zombie shit but hey stuff had to get had to be dealt with so whatever Anyway, so they're all, like, asking her, we're like, what have you been doing all summer? Where have you been? You've been living in a cardboard box? What the fuck? Where have you been? And, um, Giles says, hey, perhaps Buffy could use a little time to adjust before we grill her on her summer activities. He's the one that totally understands and tries to point out several times in this episode that Buffy needs a second, okay? She's not ready to talk about shit. She's not ready to, like, have a giant party at her house. Like, he constantly during this episode is trying to be an advocate for Buffy's feelings in this moment. He's not demanding anything of her and it's possible that later he will sort of get on to her for abandoning them, but he knows that now is not the time. He knows that now is the time for hugs and reconciliations and oh my god Buffy, I'm so glad you're back. We missed you so much. Take all the time you need to to get ready to tell us what the fuck's going on and later oh my god that's reminding me like a few episodes from now when they all finally find out that angel had his soul before she had to kill him he is trying to get her to talk about it but he's doing it in an extremely classy way oh i can't i can't wait to talk about that but let's let's talk about this goddamn episode okay all right um, they mentioned in this conversation that they were dusting six out of ten vamps, which hey, that's pretty good for a for a group of teenage non slayers to be batting six out of ten. That's not bad. Um, the next morning we get Joyce is talking to Snyder. Um, they're just trying to put everything back together. Like, apparently she's not wanted for murder anymore. That was just like a dismissive. Xander just mentioned, by the way, you're not wanted for murder anymore. Yay. Okay. Moving on. So, you know, all of that shit that went down, it's all getting put back together still. And I'm glad that this show takes the time. Whenever big things like this happen, they take a few episodes to put it all back together, you know? So anyway, um, so it's Giles or no, it's Joyce, Buffy, and Snyder they're talking to him in his office she's trying to say hey let her back in school you dick and um he's being an asshole he describes himself as being tingly at the thought of not letting her back in school and he's just awful like no principal would be this awful of course it's fun because Snyder is hilarious but um if you really think about it that's just pretty awful but um, this begins the morning after Buffy returns home I think this this has to be a choice an intentional choice the lighting in the episode from now on is extremely bright and it's always through blinds like in this episode or in this scene we see Snyder lit from behind so his big ears are just like glowing from within (laughs) um and with Buffy and Joyce it's sort of like the bottom half of their faces are lit and then their eyes are shielded um but it looks really beautiful and there's just a lot of scenes especially from now on where people are being lit through blinds and it's just interesting lighting situations it all looks really good this episode has a lot of great camera work as well um Who is the director on this episode? Because that should probably be noted. That person is probably should get the credit for all of that. James A. Contner. No, wait, that's the next episode. Sorry. James Whitmore Jr. is the one that directed this episode. So a lot of great camera shots. A lot of, I mean, it's just a well done episode overall. Um, We get the debut of the Espresso Pump. We've never seen the Espresso Pump before. So not only have they built a lot more interior sets, but this might be the first time that we're seeing... Like, I know that they filmed a lot of stuff on, like, a Hollywood lot or whatever, so maybe they changed locations or maybe they got rights to film more exterior shots on this particular, like, lot. Um, But, yeah, we're seeing more of Sunnydale than we've ever seen before in this episode. Um, So we see the espresso pump because Buffy has a date with Willow. They're going to like meet and have coffee or whatever and talk. But um, Willow stands her up. So it's a really sad scene of Buffy like sitting on the bench outside waiting for Willow to show up. And, you know, she can't just text her and tell her she's not coming. So standing people up back in the late 90s was a big deal. You didn't do that because people would actually be sitting and waiting on you if you stood them up. Whereas now we can just text somebody 15 minutes before and be like, "Eh, I'm not coming, whatever. But it was, you know, it was a pretty big snub back in the day to not show up when you had a date with someone. So that's sad. Um, so she walks home, kind of sad, sad walk home. And that's when we first meet Pat. So Pat comes out of the house as Buffy's approaching the house. And, um, she says that she met Joyce in book club, which is all a bunch of, For people that are into the whole Pat Joyce lesbian storyline. This is very much like, they're all like, yep, book club, that's code. That's code. So I never thought about that. It just, for me, this whole thing is very much like the annoying mom friend that's way too interested in what's going on with your life. You know, like, Buffy doesn't need this shit. Because Pat's like... You know, between losing you the whole situation with you and her reading deep into the ocean, as you can imagine, your mom's been a wreck, <laughs> you know, like just super like get out of my face, pat <laughs> like this this person is just so that friend of your mom's. It's perfect, they cast her perfectly she she did a great job being the annoying mom friend from book- book club. It all works for her. Sorry, I just opened the window. So if the sound is suddenly different, that's why. I'm trying to get some air in my tiny little room. And it's raining and thundering outside. So hopefully it won't be an annoying amount of background noise for you guys. Okay, um, so Joyce decides that, hey, you know, let's reconnect. She really wants to, like, embrace Buffy and her life. You know, she wants her to stay she wants to take more of an interest in her life as a slayer so she suggests this is a great gesture from Joyce I think she suggests that they invite Giles and Willow and Xander and everybody to have dinner at the house and you know at this point Buffy's just feeling very rejected by everyone Um, she feels very isolated And she doesn't know if that's a great idea, but she's like, okay, whatever. And Joyce asks her to go get the company plates in the basement. (laughs) And she goes down to the basement. And that's when she discovers, first of all, first, she pulls out a framed picture that was just hiding on a shelf in the basement. That's a picture of her Xander and Willow. The three of them have only known each other for like two years at this point. Like why would a framed picture of the three of them be hiding in the basement as if it was like from decades ago or something, you know? Like, so she finds it and looks at it like, oh, my friends, are they still my friends? Meh. It's like, okay, whatever. I get that we need to know that she feels isolated from her friends and that's a good, simple way to show that. But I just call bullshit that there would be a picture hiding in the basement of the three of them when they've only known each other for two years. But anyway. Anyway. Then a cat falls off the top of the shelf, which is another very implausible. Why would a dead cat... Why would a cat crawl... First, how does a cat get into your basement and then die? I mean is there a cat door like how the hell did this cat get in their basement first of all second of all if there was a dead cat in your basement you would smell it i mean maybe it's really fresh but uh it didn't look fresh i think i mean there was a dead mouse once in the trash can at the library and it was in a trash can inside a little pull out drawer at the front desk because one of my coworkers I gave him so much shit about this like I don't know where the dead mouse originally showed up but he threw it away in the trash <laughs> and I gave him so much shit cuz I'm like if you find a dead thing you take it to the outdoor trash immediately you double bag it and you take it out. You do not leave it inside the building. Because the next day I was just like, what is that smell? What is that smell? It was awful. It was pervasive. It was everywhere. You could smell it for like 48 hours after it was taken out. And it was just one little mouse inside a trash can. So a dead cat in your basement, you definitely, that shit would be wafting. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> I I get hung up on stupid little things like that and it's really just not important when we got so much other shit to talk about. I'm only on page two of my notes. Okay. Dead cat. Why is there a picture? Okay. Yes. Then, um, it's that night they're in bed. You see like a shot of Buffy in bed. You see a shot of Joyce in bed and it pans over to the mask on the wall right across from Joyce's bed and the eyes glow red and then you go out to oh they buried the cat by the way they did like a little cat eulogy where joyce said stray cat um i hope you find your way or something (laughs) (laughs) so they bury it outside under a bush and um after the eyes glow red on the mask the cat climbs out of the dirt grave the shallow dirt grave Which, the cat was in a plastic bag, too. I mean, if we're going to talk nitpicks, the cat was in a plastic bag, but you see no signs of the plastic bag when the cat crawls out of its grave. Anyway, whatever. Why did they even have to show the cat in the bag? Like, they could have just shown them actually burying the cat and, like, wearing gloves or something. Like, why did that plastic bag have to be involved? Okay, anyway. So the cat reanimates. It's undead now. And we all know it's because of the mask because it glowed red and then a cat crawled out of grave, you know, obviously. Um, and then we see Buffy having a dream. So this is where we get to the outfit of the episode. I really like Buffy's outfit in this dream sequence. It looks like she might be wearing a sweater backwards, but it looks fucking good on her. She's wearing Buffy blue, her signature color, this sweater, white pants and also it's it's really hard to tell what her shoes are my mom said "Ooh, bad shoes but I thought they were good they were just sort of like cloggy heel type um chunky heel and they might have been like periwinkle or they might have matched her shirt they, I mean they did match her shirt but it wasn't the exact color anyway whatever she looked so good she was wearing a strapless bra that just looked so good with the sweater the sweater was just like the baby blue. It was a wrap around sweater that had these ties that were tied in the, that was tied in the front and it sort of crisscrossed in the back, which is why I think it was on backwards because I think it was supposed to be like a super low crisscross sweater, but it was tied in the back so that you could just see her back. And it was so pretty and in the front, like the white strapless bra, it was like one of those bras that you would have to wear with that sweater because it was so low in the back that the strap of the bra would have to be strapless and it would have to like go way down to like her waist so it was just i don't know it just looked really cool and classy the dream sequence outfit that buffy's wearing that's the outfit of the episode i could never like it's not my color story so i wouldn't look good in it but it's just a great outfit and she looks awesome in it but anyway it's just this very simple dream of her going to school and no one's there not even she even walks by the library Giles isn't there everything is vacant and then she is out in the courtyard walking around and it's daylight and Angel shows up so another dream with Angel in it just to remind us all that Angel is we're not done with him I think that's the only purpose of this dream Um, because I tried to like look for symbolism in the dream, but I didn't really find any, Uh, the conversation between her and Angel is really short and doesn't seem to have extra meaning to it. Basically, she just says, um, I thought they'd be here. And he says, yeah, they're waiting for you. So, I mean, it's kind of a disconnect Uh, that's pretty much the symbolism of the dream is that she feels very disconnected she's looking for her friends and they're just not really there but they are so and then she says I'm afraid and Angel says you should be and I was kind of hoping since we're getting faith in the next episode that there might be some faith portent somewhere in this dream sequence but there isn't Um, also Buffy's wearing a moth necklace so I think moths are supposed to symbolize um return of dead loved ones or sort of connection to dead loved ones so um probably that's why she's wearing a moth necklace it's a very weird moth necklace like it's not really that cute it kind of ruins the outfit but um i probably i think that's probably why she's wearing a moth necklace but anyway instead of a cross, it's a moth. Um, so I think that's probably significant, but yeah. Anyway, so Angel must be pointed out. Obviously it's a dream because he's in the daylight, but he looks fucking good. Like I've never been an Angel person, but this particular rewatch of Buffy, like I'm into it. I'm totally in for uh, I mean, I still think that, like, when they're together and they're happy, it's gross, but <laughs> um I, I, I actually find him attractive at this point in my life. It's very odd. I never, ever did before this particular rewatch of Buffy, but he looks fucking good in this dream sequence. He's wearing all black, and he just looks classy as fuck, and it's a very awesome contrast between the two of them, obviously, because he's, like, super tall all in black standing sort of lurking behind her and she's you know blonde wearing baby blue and white and it's just a very and it, and everything has like that layer of like dream haziness you know they've put a filter on it to make it look like a dream everything's super fuzzed out um so it just provides a really nice contrast between the two of them you know like obviously Buffy is the symbol of good she's the slayer and he's the vampire so he's all in black and he looks really stark too like they didn't put the filter on him it's just on her so she looks fuzzy and white and you know good she's a symbol of goodness in this moment and he is a symbol of not goodness but um anyway so love dream sequences and Buffy they always make me happy and this one was no different um so that's her dream she wakes up and um she has a conversation with her mom in the kitchen they're still talking about like what are they going to do about school because Snyder won't let her back in so she's like l- Joyce is sort of looking into and o- other school options and she's being nice about it you know she's like She points out, like, some girl's school. And Buffy's like, what? (laughs) Kilts? No boys? You want me to go to a convent school? And that's when Joyce says, look, you made some bad decisions. You might have to deal with the consequences. And then she sort of softens and says, nothing's settled yet. We will figure something out. You know? (laughs) And this is also the scene where she refers to Snyder as nasty little horrid bigoted rodent man. Nasty little horrid bigoted rodent man. From the lips of Joyce Summers. From this comment alone she gets MVP status of the episode. Because that's amazing. Okay. That's when... um So they're still having this conversation in the kitchen. And Joyce is about to take the trash out. And... um Which is another thing I really love about this show. I love that like... Almost always when people are having emotional conversations and shit like other stuff is happening like people are taking the trash out like Giles is peeling an apple or making tea like there's always like props and people using props while they're having emotionally charged conversations and that just makes it just so so much more rich and real and interesting like I love that shit anyway so Joyce is taking the trash out and it's a full bag of, like, real-looking trash, okay? This doesn't look like fake trash. It looked like wet, gross kitchen trash. So, again, props to the prop department. Y'all are amazing. So she's taking the trash out. That's when the cat runs in. And they're all like, what the fuck, undead cat? Jaws to the rescue. He comes over, puts the cat in a carrier, takes it to the library. And at first, you know, Buffy's all like ready to go with him. She's, she's like, okay, well, obviously we're in research mode. I need to go with you to the library right now. And, um, also an important moment, Joyce is like, yeah, go ahead and go. Um, because at first Giles says, you should probably stay here with your mother, blah, blah, blah. And Joyce is like, yeah, definitely. Which is nice to see that she is encouraging and accepting Giles' role in Buffy's life. Now that she knows what his role really is. He's not just the librarian that seems to give a shit about your daughter. She, you know, he, she's accepting it and she's doing a good job. And this is a nice little moment. But then you find out that Giles was really just saying that because he was trying to be very tactful about the fact that Buffy's not allowed on school property. So she can't go with him to the, so... Yet another barrier, yet another reason for Buffy to feel isolated from everybody. She doesn't get to go be a part of research mode. So he takes the cat back to the library and then we get a scene with um, Cordelia, Oz, Xander, and Willow, and Giles all at the library doing research mode, blah, blah, blah. There's a bunch of jokes about Giles' stinky cat and that's funny. And they're talking about the party. They're talking about how they're all invited that night to dinner at buffy's and they're talking about like okay well like what are we gonna bring how are we gonna do this and that's when we get um oz's great description of the difference between legendary oz description of the difference between a gathering a shindig and a hootenanny so he he just kind of points out oh first of all he really likes the cat (laughs) he's like trying to pet the cat He's got, oh, that's where we get the object of the episode. Let's go ahead and point that out. Oz is wearing what I believe to be Revlon Streetwear in the color Midnight nail polish. That's exactly what it looks like. I used to have it in the late 90s, so I would love to have it again. It's this perfect, like super dark, sparkly blue. It's real nice. And that is definitely what he's wearing. This is not just straight up black nail polish like they usually put on boys that are kind of edgy in the late 90s. It's blue. Oz branching out. He uses colors on his nails, okay? Damn, I love a guy in nail polish. Okay, so he likes the cat. He wants to name the cat Patches. So great to have Oz as like a regular character um, in this season. We get him probably almost every episode. I'm sure there are some episodes he's not in in this season, but we get him a lot more in this season, as I mentioned before, and that's exciting. Okay, so Oz's definition of gathering versus shindig versus hootenanny needs to be said, needs to be given its moment. So here it is. A gathering is... Brie and mellow song stylings. A shindig is dip, less mellow song stylings, and perhaps a large amount of malt beverage. Hoot nanny. Well, it's chock full of hoot, which just a little bit of nanny. <laughs> Oz, oh, you're amazing. So they all decide that what is in order is a hoot nanny. And Giles is the only one that's like, look, guys. She just got back. She's still assimilating. Like, she doesn't need to be overwhelmed with a giant party right now. She probably just wants to have more of an intimate gathering where all of us can sit down and talk and reconnect. Which is more than what he said, but that was his basic point. And everybody was like, nope, we need to have a giant party because they're all just trying to avoid having emotional conversations with Buffy. Which, on the one hand, they're all being assholes to Buffy in this episode. But on the other hand, I totally understand where they're all coming from. I mean, she literally abandoned them for four months. They don't know how to navigate. They're teenagers. They don't know how to fucking navigate that shit. You know, like, it's very awkward when you suddenly reconnect with someone that you were used to being around every day after a large chunk of time that you weren't around that person. It's, you don't always just fall in right where you left off, especially in a situation like this. So... Almost every time I watch this episode, either I'm super pissed off at everybody for being dicks to Buffy, or I'm like, yeah, I get it. In this particular rewatch, I'm kind of in the, yeah, I get it. I mean, there'll be other times that I watch this episode where I'm super pissed off at everyone, and I am still pissed off at everyone for the way that they're treating her, but she's not letting them in on the very important little chunk of information that they don't know that if they knew, they would be much more understanding towards her. But her argument is always, y'all wouldn't understand. Okay. Okay. We're not really ready for that discussion yet. (laughs) Still only on page three. Of my six pages of notes. Okay. So I wrote terrible party idea. Giles is so good at being annoyed with Xander. Oh God. That was a nice moment where like Xander like slaps Giles on the back. Like, okay, a hootenanny it is. Um, and Giles just sort of like, after getting slapped on the back by Xander, he just makes this, face and sort of looks at him like, I fucking hate you, Xander. You are the worst, which is what I think about Xander most of the time. So that was just a nice validating moment. Go back and watch that little moment in the library right after Xander smacks Giles on the back. That look, Giles wins at all the looks. He knows how to give the look. Anyway, and it was the kind of look that like Xander probably didn't even notice it was so good so subtle anyway anthony stewart head you're the man okay all right so then we cut to oh a little moment where giles is sort of flipping through a book and you see him look away in the foreground and in the background you can see that the picture of the mask is in the book and he just flips right past it because he gets distracted and looks away for a second So that's a sad little moment, but it was a nice little thing to pepper in there. Just like, just so you know, if you didn't already get it, it's, it's Joyce's mask. Okay. This whole thing is Joyce's fault. Okay. Then we cut to it's that night at the house. Pat shows up. Buffy, Buffy's like setting the table, getting ready for their little, you know, she's got the company plates out and everything, which they're not going to survive the night anyway the doorbell rings Buffy goes to the door and it's Pat Joyce has not told her that Pat was gonna come and she's like what the fuck mom friend no and she says just the most inappropriate shit she's like so you're not thinking about any flights of fancy again I hope and then she gives her some empanadas "I, I, I know you like empanadas screw facial night let's party like Pat 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 i've always really disliked this character however after listening to the buffering episode when they were just like super into pat and they were just like so happy about pat um it gives me a little bit of a soft spot for her i mean it's it's hard to be a new friend of someone's mom's while their child has like she seems like one of those opportunistic friends though like i still really don't like her You know, the kind of friends that come into your life while you're going through a tragedy and are super into the tragedy that you're going through. Like, Pat was not around before Buffy left. Pat has only existed for the months that Joyce was without her daughter. She was... She has taken it upon herself to take care of Joyce. Like, that's actually what she says. Like, I have just... Ugh. Like, people that are super obsessed with your tragedies... They need to be looked at with a side-eye, you know? You know what I'm saying? Anyway, Pat. So she shows up. And there's this great moment where um, Buffy doesn't know what to do. It doesn't want to talk to Pat. So she's like, okay, uh, do you want to talk to my mom? And she's like, sure. And she just turns around and goes, mom! And just like yells up the stairs. It's just this perfect like kid moment of, it was just awesome. Um, okay, so then the hoot nanny starts. There are people everywhere and the episode does a really good job of showing Buffy how isolated she feels. Just like over and over again throughout this episode, it's Buffy walking around by herself and looking very disoriented and feeling invisible and just not knowing if this is really where she needs to be. Like she doesn't know if she fits in in this world anymore. Like, all of her friends feel far away from her. Her mom feels far away from her. Like, now there's this giant party with all these people that she doesn't even know. And she's just walking through her house the same way that she was walking through the abandoned school in her dream. You know? Just wandering around and feeling like she's surrounded by people literally everywhere. But she feels very, very alone. And um, she tries to talk to Willow. But the band is playing. Because um, Oz's band is playing. And Willow's just like watching the band and being groupy like and not wanting to pay attention to Buffy and like Buffy's trying to talk to her about shit and she's just sort of like, Yeah, I can't hear you, I can't hear you. And so Buffy just starts to walk away. But then she she's like, you know what? No. I need to talk to my friend. Like she's really trying. She really is. Everybody's being dicks to her, and she understands that she abandoned them but she wants to reconnect with them and she's trying really hard despite the fact that she's been kicked out of school despite the fact that everybody's like avoiding her essentially so she comes back in and she asks willow to like go somewhere more quiet so they can talk you know after almost walking away when willow was like "Ah, i can't hear you i can't hear you And she tries to talk to her and she's just sort of like, are we okay? Like, and Willow's just like, yeah, that's why we're having this big party for you. Because welcome back, Buffy. And then she just sort of walks off again. And she even asks her, like, Point blank, why are you avoiding me? It seems like you're avoiding me. And Willow's like, no, I'm not. So she tried and Willow just sort of is like, nope, everything's fine not going to talk about anything, and she walks away. Um, So at that point, Buffy's just sort of, like, moping around. Like, she just wants to kind of escape the party. She tries to start going outside, but then Xander talks to her. But Xander and Cordelia are fully making out the entire time. Xander's trying to say, yeah, we're really happy you're back, Buffy, blah, blah, blah. And, like, all of this is very weird when you think about the fact that Joyce is there. Like this was supposed to be like a little dinner party gathering and then a band shows up and like 50 kids in your house trashing it. There's popcorn fucking everywhere. Where did the popcorn even come from? They were going to have popcorn at a dinner party. Who fucking brought the popcorn? But anyway, there's popcorn everywhere. People are drinking, like underage drinking going on in the house. And Joyce is just hiding in the kitchen with a bottle of schnapps and Pat. So that's a good transition to Buffy. Like, you know, she's just trying to find somewhere that's quiet, trying to get away from this party. Um, Cause her attempts to talk to all of her friends are just not working. She's like, where's Giles? And they're all like, well, he's in research mode still, but he'll be here later. He wouldn't miss this, blah, blah, blah. Then she goes to the, starts to walk into the kitchen and Pat and Joyce are talking and drinking schnapps. They're the only ones in the kitchen. And... Pat asks her like how are you holding up really and Joyce you know has this whole thing she's like you know I just the only thing I could think about while she was gone is getting her back and I thought that everything would be perfect as soon as she was back but now that she's back what'd she say having Buffy home I thought it was going to make everything make it all better but in some ways it's worse It's almost, in some ways it's almost worse. And the only part of that that Buffy hears as she's starting to walk into the kitchen is I thought it would make it all better having her home, but in some ways it's almost worse. So at this point, Buffy goes up the stairs and starts packing a fucking bag again. And I totally get that from her perspective. She keeps trying to connect with all of her friends and they're not having it. Um, She can't go back to school. Snyder won't let her back in um her mom isn't even completely okay with her being back like everything is weird I understand she just wants to get the fuck out of there right now and like yeah it's a rash decision but she just spent four months living on her own and although she wasn't happy and she missed her friends and she missed her life what she needs right now is a lot of quiet a lot of time to regroup and heal like she's just been through some traumatic shit being outed to her mom getting kicked out of school being wanted for murder getting kicked out of her house killing her boyfriend like she's been through so much and I completely understand like wanting to connect to the people that you love and it not working I completely understand um I don't think okay Anyway, so she starts packing a bag and Willow finally decides to actually talk to Buffy. So she goes up the stairs to talk to her one-on-one friend time and she sees Buffy packing the bag. So that's when they start arguing like, what the fuck are you doing? You're just leaving again. And she's like, well, I mean, you guys were fine without me. And Willow says, we were doing the best we could. You weren't here and so they're having actually a productive emotional conversation actually talking about their feelings and then Joyce comes in and she is angry she's been drinking and she's angry she's like what the fuck were you doing and Willow uncharacteristically she says she was leaving again which is shitty of Willow to say but like everything needs to be out in the open at this moment so I understand why she said it everybody needs to fucking fight right now okay um I just tried to look up the answer to something that I did not find the answer to but if any of you guys know okay in this scene where Buffy and Willow and Joyce are fighting in her bedroom as she's packing the bag in the background there's a poster that's like partially obscured by like Buffy's dresser and like some clothes slung over the like mirror of her bureau or whatever so you can't really completely see it but it looks like a matrix poster it's like a black poster and it's got cascading green characters it looks like a matrix poster but this came out in October of 1998 this episode came out it would have been filmed like probably at least a couple weeks before that And The Matrix didn't come out until March of 1999. But, like, I tried to look up, like, when did, like, promotional items start coming out for The Matrix. And, like, um, I just don't have the time to dig into that for half an hour. Because I just spent, like, five minutes and it wasn't enough to answer the question. But, anyway. I just... It looks like a Matrix poster. I don't know what else it could be, but... That movie wasn't even out yet, but most likely, like, you know, people in Hollywood. There would have been, like, screeners and stuff, maybe. There could have been people that had already seen the movie, you know, five months before it actually comes out. I don't know. Like, surely that isn't a Matrix poster, but what else looks like that? And it's odd that Buffy would have that in her room anyway um and they obviously obscured it enough that like i don't know it's obviously like something that was there for people if it is a matrix poster it was there for people to like notice it that were really looking for something like that so i don't know just an interesting question i'd love to know if that was a matrix poster okay i just googled that <laughs> was that a matrix poster in Buffy's bedroom dead man's party episode um so no one seems to be talking about it I'm probably just crazy let's move on it looked like a fucking matrix poster though okay so um Giles tries to call he he puts it together he finally sees that page in the book he's still in research mode you see him at the library he realizes oh it's Joyce's mask (laughs) it's Joyce's fucking mask um, that reanimated the cat. So he tries to call the party, but, um, it's just too noisy and some random party goer answers the phone and calls him Mr. Belvedere, whatever. So he gets into Citron to drive across town to go, you know, tell them it's the mask. It's the mask. All the, you know, but you see at this point, I think you've seen several different people in Sunnydale reanimate, like everyone that's dead reanimates and, um, is being drawn to Buffy's house. They're all being drawn specifically to Joyce's bedroom because if one of the dead gets the mask on, they become like king of the dead or whatever the fuck. So that's what they all want. So none of them want to eat brains or anything like that. They just want to get to the mask. So it's not a huge danger, but um, that is typical of a very emotionally charged episode of Buffy. It's usually the the supernatural element that's in the episode is like not quite as effective as the actual emotions that need to be dealt with. So that's cool, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. So, one of the interesting things that Willow and Buffy say um before Joyce gets into the room, so we're kind of going back a little bit, but um You know, Willow's kind of saying like, I need you to talk to me about what's going on with you. You know, I know you've been through a lot, but you need to talk to me about it. And Buffy says, you wouldn't understand. And Willow says something very interesting. Says something very important. She says, maybe I don't need to understand. I just need you to talk to me. And that's a very important thing. I mean, a lot of the times we really don't in our lives share things that are going on with the people that we love because we think that they wouldn't get it but and sometimes they won't get it but they know they can see that you're upset and that you're dealing with something and they can still be kind to you and help you through something even if they don't understand why you're emotional about it you know Um, that's important so and then Buffy has a little selfish moment where she was like Willow says something about you know I I needed to talk to you about what's going on with me too and Buffy says well I know that you were worried about me and Willow interrupts her and she's like no not just that things that I'm going through like hello I know you're the all-important slayer but I matter too so um Buffy Willow friendship moments this is a good one even though they're fighting because they're saying some good shit before Joyce comes in the room Okay, Giles in the Citron, on his way across town, (laughs) he says something super hilarious. This was almost the quote of the episode. He's like, um, ranting in his car by himself, and he says, Unbelievable! Do you like my mask? Isn't it pretty? It raises the dead, Americans. Because he saw the mask when he went to get the cat, because the cat was in Joyce's bedroom. The cat was drawn to the mask, too. Um... And she was all like, yeah, it's my Nigerian death mask. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, anyway. Isn't it pretty? It raises the dead. <laughs> okay. So then Giles hits a zombie. So, and he gets out of the car because he thinks he just hit somebody. He doesn't know that like, you know, there's a bunch of zombies. yet. Yeah, this is the first time he's encountered them. They're all on their way to Buffy's house. Like he is. So he gets out of the car to check on the guy that he just hit and a whole bunch of other zombies just like show up out of nowhere he ends up having to um so he's fighting off like five zombies then he gets in the car and he tries to drive off but he had dropped his keys when he got out of the car and he doesn't realize it until he's back in the car and there's like four zombies like descending upon him like trying to scratch their way into the car which is funny because why would they care when they're just trying to get to Buffy's house like why are they bothering him I don't know but anyway um he, then he has to hotwire his car because his keys are outside the car. So he can't get back out. So that's a nice little moment because, you know, you're reminded that. And this is going to, this is some foreshadowing for what happens later in the episode. Because you're going to get a ripper moment later. Hell yeah. Okay. Oh my God, this episode's almost an hour and a half long already. I'm sorry, guys. I just, I have a lot to talk about today, apparently. Okay. So. Um, Giles hits a zombie, B wants to go for a walk. Okay, so, so Buffy is, like, overwhelmed by getting, you know, by the emotional conversation between her and her mom and Willow. So she goes down the stairs because she's just, like, gonna head out, just, to, like, go for a walk or something, you know, which is typical Buffy. Like, she doesn't, she can't handle emotional conversation. She has to leave so she's trying to do that but Xander and Cordelia are literally making out against the front door <laughs> so she is blocked by them and she just like sees them and she's like ah and then she turns and walks into the rest of the party which like she's just trying to find an escape route and at this point that's when we get like a big fight like the zombies are all headed to the house and we know that at this point Giles is on his way but um the party is still in full swing and they just start having a fight like Joyce is like look I need to talk to you you don't get to just leave every time something gets hard we need to talk and she just kind of yells at her and then Xander joins in and it's just a whole thing where they're all fighting a whole bunch of people from the party just leave because they're like oh shit there's weird emotional family drama going on right now but a lot of people actually stay and like watch it go down so like half the party leaves but the other half stays and they're just all like stunned watching this all go down um joyce says something important here she says you know buffy's like look she's like you know you found out who i was and you couldn't deal which is true it's totally true. And Joyce says, look, mom's not perfect. Okay. I handled it badly, which is very nice that she admits that she's self-aware. Like I get where almost everybody's coming from in this argument. It makes sense. You know, everybody's got a lot of emotions surrounding this and it had to come out. Um, and that's when Buffy says, I think I mentioned this before. I just had to deal with this on my own. Um, Xander is an ass. That's my next note. <laughs> and cause he just keeps butting in. Like, w- do you know what you put your mother through? You abandoned your post? Like he's just being an ass an ass and ass. And at one point he says, you can't just bury stuff, Buffy. It'll come right back up to get you. Which is when we head back to Giles. And this is the point where he hotwires the car. And then we come back to the party, come back to the fight. And Xander's still yelling at Buffy. And Cordelia says, time out, Xander. Put yourself in Buffy's shoes for just a minute. So that's a nice moment where she just sort of, and you can see her, she's standing right behind Xander during this fight. And she is just like shocked by what an ass Xander is being. And she steps in between them and she's like, she does it badly like Cordelia would do she's like okay I'm Buffy freak of nature so naturally I have a freak of nature boyfriend and then he goes crazy and starts killing all of my friends which is kind of my fault and (laughs) and then Buffy says Cordy get out of my shoes nice nice you know yeah I mean it's true she really was trying to help she really was trying to like subdue Xander's assholeness but then she was just Cordelia so you know she's gonna say inappropriate shit because tact that's just not saying true stuff you know what I'm saying so yeah everybody's fighting everybody's fighting Willow says we might as well try some violence because Oz tries to get in between Xander and Buffy because most of this fight is Xander and Buffy screaming at each other and Oz tries to get between them and Willow's like We might as well try some violence because talking isn't working, which is when somebody busts through the big bay window in the living room. It's possible this is the first time we see that window get destroyed, but we will see it happen many, many more times. So this is where we start getting serious destruction of the Summer's house because all the zombies have shown up and that's when we get, you know, A fight scene that I kind of paid attention to. It was actually pretty interesting because basically everyone at the party just immediately sprung into action and started fighting these zombies. Like they didn't really portray anyone as being like scared and screaming like would normally be happening in an episode like this. It was actually pretty cool. Like just random party going extras were trying to hold the door closed trying to fight off zombies with anything they could find to use as a weapon i mean jonathan had a guitar and he was just like running with the guitar brandished you know like he was ready to fight everybody was joining in just immediately and everybody was super capable and it was pretty cool to watch actually Um, Devin, the lead singer of the band, he was helping. Um, I mean, everybody was just in it at this point. Um, some zombie grab, oh, that's the, where I noted earlier, there was a zombie that just reached through the door, broke through the door and grabbed Oz. And that's when Buffy, Joyce, Xander and Willow run up the stairs to get away from the zombies that are getting in the house. They're retreating to Joyce's bedroom, which makes no sense, but whatever. That's what they did. As soon as Oz get, gets grabbed, and Cordelia is the only one that stays behind and helps him. And it's just a really nice moment of her trying to help him. And um, then they end up running off together and hiding in the closet under the stairs. Um, just Oz and Cordelia. Um, Then Giles shows up as... Oz and Cordelia are like tentatively coming out of the closet and also another moment why Cordelia is sharing MVP of the episode with Joyce and Giles. She um as they're exiting the closet she looks for something to use as a weapon and she finds two ski poles and she gives one of them to Oz like Oz was just venturing out into the hall with no weapons of any kind but Cordelia was like no wait a second there's got to be something in here we can use um which is pretty cool. Cordelia really stepping it up in this episode. She is a fierce fighter. Do not take Cordelia for granted. Okay? She will empathize with your shit. She will fight. She will save you when everyone else abandons you. Cordelia is good to have around. Okay? Anyway. Um, so pretty much the whole downstairs is empty at this point because all the zombies are going to Joyce's room and all the other party goers have run away at this point so Giles gets there and he sees Oz and Cordelia first and he tells them that you know what this demon is he does his like exposition as they're going up the stairs um oh it's Ovumobani evil eye so who, whichever zombie gets to the mask and puts it on first they will become Like, pretty much unstoppable, blah, blah, blah. Right at this moment, um, you realize Pat's in the bedroom with them, and she has just died because she got attacked by a zombie earlier. But you see her get up as Giles is explaining whichever zombie gets to the mask first, blah, blah, blah. So you see Pat get up and put the mask on, and that's when Pat becomes the Ovu Mubani evil eye, basically. And essentially as soon as she puts the mask on she as soon as she looks if anyone looks at her if she like makes eye contact with anyone they get momentarily stunned it looks like it's just like a tiny little like a couple seconds stun, but it's long enough for her to like be able to attack them um which is what happens. It happens to Buffy and it happens to Willow. And Buffy immediately recognizes that this is going on. And she tries to warn Willow, like, don't look at her. Don't look at her. Um, she ends up like attacking Pat, like, like ambushing her and they fall off the roof down to the ground outside. Um, and at this point, Giles and Oz and Cordelia are fighting a zombie that's trying to get up the stairs. So they're all on the stairs. And um, Giles is is telling Oz, like, go tell Buffy she needs to get him and get the zombie in the eyes. Get him in the eyes. That's where the power lies. In the eyes. So he jumps over the banister, which is a really cute, badass little moment. He just sort of like, leaps over the banister sideways goes out the back door where Buffy and who knows how he knew that that's where they were but he did and he tries to tell Buffy to get Pat in the eyes but she realizes it at that moment she uses the shovel that was still out in the yard from burying the cat. She uses the shovel to um, just like shovel in the eyes. Pat's vanquished and she disappears and all the other zombies disappear which is when you get Uh, Another little moment, which is why Joyce gets to share the MVP with Giles and Cordelia. She is in the bedroom, beating a zombie with a bat. (laughs) Beat on the undead with a bat. While Xander and Willow are hiding behind her bed. It's such a nice little shot, like, despite all of their... I I I'd mentioned this before, didn't I? <laughs> I think I mentioned this earlier. Uh, maybe an hour ago. Who knows? I mentioned it. Um, but anyway, it's just a nice little moment because she's beating the zombie with the bat while they're hiding behind the bed. Um, okay. So I think we're finally getting to the end. So this is where in my notes I wrote, Everybody finally hugs. Because they do, just like, they all sort of reconvene downstairs. The house is completely fucking destroyed. So, that's awful. (laughs) It would take months to put this house back together, but I assure you that in the next episode, we'll see Buffy's house. Most likely, and it'll be fine. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I'll update you on that next week. Anyway... So they're all sort of convening downstairs and Buffy and Willow finally hug. I I don't know if she and Xander hug. They have a little moment where she was where he's like, nice moves and she's like, you too, or something. Um, and then she hugs her mom and just like everybody is finally hugging and you see Giles sort of from across the room just like looking at the whole situation and like he knows. He... You know, she didn't have to tell him any of this. He knows what's been going on with her in a way that no one else has been able to get. And he just sort of, you never get to see Giles and Buffy hug. But I think they were a little careful with that when the show was out. They were afraid that people might perceive some sort of romantic thing between Giles and Buffy if they showed too much actual affection between them. So you don't get to see it often, like actual hugs between Giles and Buffy are few and far between, unfortunately, but you see it all in a look, you know, he's watching her hug everybody and finally reconnect with everybody and he's just smiling and he's just taking it all in, just like he, just from that look, you see That he is so happy that she's back. He's so happy. He knows that she's going to stay at this point. He knows that things will get better. And he's just so happy and so proud. And it's just... Giles! I want Giles to be my dad. I love him so much. I love him so much. Okay, so what have we not talked about? Um, Oh, and then the very last scene of the episode, it's Willow and Buffy at the espresso pump and they're just sort of talking and it's just a really nice conversation. Like, Willow's updating Buffy on everything that's been going on. She's been really getting into the witchy stuff and she says something very important. Like, obviously the point of this conversation is that they are reconnecting and that's good. They have this cute little conversation where Buffy's like, you're really enjoying this moral superiority thing. Okay, I can take my lumps for a while. (laughs) And then they start like insulting each other and just sort of like venting and, you know, it's good. It's a good little conversation, but something really important in this conversation. I wrote down the whole thing that Willow said and I'm just going to say it and let the gravity of it sink in for any of y'all that know what happens with Willow's character over the next five years. Okay? So she's telling Buffy, updating her on, like, the witchy stuff that she's been doing lately, and here's what she says. I tried to communicate with the spirit world, and I so wasn't ready for that. It's like being pulled apart inside. Plus, I blew the power for the whole block. Just let that sink in. Just let that information sink in. From the very fucking beginning, before Willow even knew that her spell worked to reinstall Angel which was the biggest spell which was like the turning point for her becoming the witch that she is today she doesn't even know that it worked but she's already trying to communicate with the spirit world she already is self aware enough to know she's not ready for that so many things to come so many things to come and they're peppering it in there they probably already know that Willow's eventually gonna go off the deep end with magic Um, because they had a lot of pretty main character arcs fleshed out. It seems like they were pretty thoughtful about that shit for the most part throughout the series. So I bet they already knew what was going to happen with Willow. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Um, yeah, so that's the episode. Let's get back to the, let's get to the ratings. I think I've mentioned almost everything at this point the object of the episode is Oz's nail polish because I'm pretty sure it's Revlon streetwear in the color Midnight Um, the outfit is Buffy's dream outfit Um, the quote, it was hard to pick a quote for this episode, it's not a super quotable episode, but I decided to to pick when Buffy says when she's referring to the mask and says it's angry at the room mom, it wants the room to suffer because she's like, I think it cheers up the room MVP, of course, as I've said many, many times, is a three-way tie between Joyce, Giles, and Cordelia. They're all um, super awesome in their own ways. My 5x5 ratings, I like to give a rating between 0 and 5 for the enjoyability of the episode and the conveyance of the message. So I gave it same score as last episode, even though I think maybe I, I don't know. I guess they probably, I enjoy them both for different reasons, but I guess, I don't know. I kind of enjoy them the same amount, I guess, because they got the same score. I gave it a four for enjoyability and a four for conveyance of the message, because obviously this whole thing is about, like Buff, like Xander said earlier, you can't just bury stuff Buffy. It'll come back to get you. So that was the point of the whole thing. It was a zombie storyline because everybody's trying to subdue their complicated emotions at the return of Buffy. Um, So a lot of good stuff in this episode. I think um, this is really what Marty Noxon is great at. She's great at dealing with complex, angsty, emotional shit. And that is really one of the big reasons that I love this show back in the day my history with Buffy when it was actually airing is that I started watching it during the third season it wasn't at this point it was like halfway through the third season or something um oh my god you know it's quite possible I don't know if this is true but it feels right so I'm gonna say it (laughs) With the caveat that memory is very ephemeral, so I know that this might not be true, but it might be as well. I think Faith, Hope, and Trick is possibly the first episode I ever watched, which is the next episode, the episode that we're going to discuss next Saturday. This is also um, my 5 by 5 ratings are based on, you know, the main thing the like motto of the character of faith who every time you ask her how she's doing she always says she's five by five five what by five what we don't know but um she always says she's five by five and um this is the very last episode we're gonna have a five by five rating before we actually get the introduction of faith i cannot fucking wait oh my god next week we get faith so exciting So I will just leave you with that little bit of squealing excitement, Faith, next week. So excited. What do you guys think about Faith? I love her so much but I also think she's a very underserved character. I don't know. We've got so much to say about Faith, but we can start that next week because this episode's already been an hour and 45 minutes long. Thank you guys for listening. Um, Let me know all of your thoughts. I would love to hear them and get some good Buffy discussions going with you guys. If you would like to contact me, you can do so via mixtressradio at gmail.com. I will talk to you guys next week about the episode faith, hope, and trick. Bye!